Uh, thank you to Gloria on that uh, virtual choir anthem for the solo. Okay, mom, head up. You want this tight? Head up. Mom, okay. it's going to be loose everywhere if you keep doing this. Promise and waiting. From the very beginning, these two things have been at the center of the faith journey. God gave Abraham a promise to bless him and that through him, his descendants and his descendants, God would bless the world. And the only thing was, Abraham had no children, so he had to wait. He and his wife Sarah waited many, many years before that promise was fulfilled through the birth of their son Isaac. Waiting for a promise has been at the core of Jewish and Christian faith. The earliest followers of Jesus were waiting for a promise given to them that Jesus would come back to establish God's righteous reign over the earth, that he would make all things right. And this is the promise that Peter talks about in today's passage. But in accordance with this promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness is at home. They believed that Jesus would come again to take away all evil, injustice, and, in, and suffering. And that there would be a new world where love, justice, and righteousness prevailed. This was the promise that the earliest followers staked their lives on and died for. They built the church on this promise. You know, there was a fervency and a clear sense of mission to get ready for this promise. And there was a joy that came with it. They waited expectantly for this promise to come. But a generation passed, and that promise hadn't come. In fact, the world just seemed to have gotten worse. Life became harder, and they faced more persecution. They were scattered after Rome came and destroyed Jerusalem. Many of the followers began to give up on that promise. And this is the central issue in this letter that Peter writes today. Many people had begun to say this. Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since our ancestors died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And they, they were saying, you know, since God isn't coming, what's the point? And they began living however they wanted. They indulged in the anything goes mentality that everyone else around them was living. They were tired of waiting. I mean, as Brian prayed very uh, eloquently, this strange year has been a year of waiting. For life as we knew it to return, you know, to see our friends and family like we used to, to celebrate life events like birthdays and weddings. We have been waiting to end the isolation and loneliness we feel. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, there was a hope that this pause in life could be a real opportunity for meaningful changes, for us to become better people, 
and for a new world to emerge from the aftermath of this pandemic. But as time has gone on, I think people have simply gotten tired of waiting. I mean, people have major COVID fatigue, right? We don't want to remain holed up in our homes anymore. And as we see the unrelenting toll of the second wave, we feel helpless and discouraged. I don't know about you guys, but we see a dark and lonely winter ahead with no festive Christmas celebrations to get through. I mean, even in our church planning, by now we'd be planning busily for a Christmas concert and Christmas service and this and that, but none of that's happening this year. The whole world is now waiting for a vaccine to come and save us. And I mean, I'm looking forward to that. I, I really do want to be able to see people and gather. But the promise that we're waiting for is simply to get our lives back to normal. Right? We've seen tremendous resistance to change, and we become jaded about that. Instead of unity, we see a lot of division. People, in a way, have given up on a different vision for this world. They just want to live how they want and how they used to. They believe that the world as it is, is how it always will be. And the thinking is, you know, what can I really do to change things? I might as well just live how I want and get what I want. You know, nowadays we don't really hear the, the we're all in it together model much anymore, do we? But what about us, uh, followers of Christ? Do we really believe in the promise that God will come to make all things right? Or have we too absorbed the belief that the world as we see it is the way things are and the way they always will be? I mean, it's been 2,000 years since Peter wrote this letter. It seems like maybe the scoffers were right. Has anything really changed during this time? Is God indifferent to what goes on in this world? I mean, perhaps another question lurking deep down really is, in light of all that's happened and still happens in this world, does God even exist? For those of us who believe, is God slow to act on his promise to make the world right? Peter responds in this way. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. What an insight. It's not that God is slow to make things right, but that God is patient in exercising judgment so that more people may see the light, turn to God, and be saved from condemnation. I mean, yes, I believe God's heart breaks at the suffering that is inflicted in the meantime. And the scriptures are clear that God will enact judgment when it comes time for it. There will be a reckoning for the lives we've lived and what we've done. And the Apostles' Creed sums up this belief. He will come to judge the living and the dead. Yes, 
God's judgment is and will be real when he makes the world right. And Peter talks about this a lot in this letter, about this coming judgment. But even still, God's mercy triumphs over judgment. God does not want to destroy the world he so lovingly created. You know, a parent brings their child into this world with so much love, right? We've been blessed with seven babies this year. I mean, Jonathan here too. He's like, it's a beautiful thing. So much love. But I mean, as a child grows, I mean, there are a lot of pains a parent goes through, especially as they see their child make unwise choices and struggle to find their way. You know, I think parents of uh, addicts face particularly painful struggles. I mean, they know that if they continually just take their child back without any real changes, they're maybe just enabling relapses and a worse downward spiral. But the possibility that the child will break out of that addiction and find their way keeps them going. They don't want to cut their child off, even though they know there is a point at which they might have to do so. In a similar way, God wants to redeem this world and have people change their hearts and lives towards righteousness. God does not want to destroy what he created. In the Bible, again and again, God withholds his wrath and shows mercy. You know, before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham bargained with God. And he asked, if there were 50 righteous people, would God spare them? God said, yes. Abraham then <laughs> kept pushing. If there were 45 righteous people, would God spare them? God said, yes. 40? Yes. Uh, 30? Yes. Um, just, just sorry for me to ask. 20? Yes. And 10? Yes. For the sake of 10 righteous people, I will not destroy them. God's mercy outweighed judgment. I mean, but in the end, there was not one righteous person there, so God destroyed them. Peter tells us to regard the Lord's patience as our salvation. Yes, God's patience and holding back on judgment is our salvation. God waits patiently for us to turn toward God and his righteousness. And this is why Jesus told us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. God holds back on judgment to give us a chance to change. And this was the heart of the father of the prodigal son. right? The son, uh, he demanded and took his share of the inheritance before his father was even dead. I mean, what a guy, right? He went and squandered it all, all while living it up. And when he was flat broke, a famine hit, right? And the only job for him was to feed the pigs. And even there, he realized the pigs had more to eat than him. And that's when he realized what he had done. He decided to go back to his father, confess his sins, and seek forgiveness. And accept being treated just like a hired hand, no longer a son. Even that would have been good enough for him. As he walked towards his father, this is what happened. 
But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Our God is like this father who is patiently waiting for us to turn back to him, to cast aside judgment and instead forgive and embrace us. I think this heart is the pastoral heart that I've been discovering too as I've gone along. You know, I see this in my relationship with our current uh, college students and young adults. When I first started ministry in my seminary days uh, while they were in high C, you know, we shared many wonderful, special moments and of closeness with God and with one another. But now, as they're adults, I feel like many of them are so distant from God and any sense of promise. I don't know if they believe in the promise that their lives are in God's hands or that God will make all things right for them. I don't know if some of them even really believe in God. And so I feel very powerless and helpless. All I can do is wait, try to be faithful in loving them, and just pray nonstop that someday God will not just be a concept, but a real presence in their lives that gives them life and a sense of promise and purpose and meaning. God is not slow about his promise, just patient. God's promise still stands, and that is what we believe, that God will create new heavens and a new earth where righteousness and justice is at home. We wait for this new heaven and earth that only God can create. While we wait for this promise, what are we to do? We prepare ourselves for the righteous and just world that God will create. We create like colonies and outposts of this righteous reign in a very unrighteous world. We're like citizens of a different realm residing in this world. While we wait, we follow Peter's instruction. Therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace without spot or blemish and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Peace comes from the promise that our lives and this world is ultimately in God's hands. Peace comes from the assurance that God will make all things right. Peace comes from this faith and assurance. And while we wait, we are to be without spot or blemish. This doesn't mean being perfect all the time in our behavior. It means to be purified, and more specifically, purified from anything that blots or blemishes love. I didn't make a slide for this, but earlier on in the letter, P Peter says, support your faith with goodness, 
and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. Love is what we do, and we purify that love in our hearts and in our actions. So we examine our hearts. Is there anything in your heart that is blotting out or blemishing love? Are you disconnected with God's love? Are you numb to it? Do you lack discipline in cultivating love? Are you blinded by ignorance? Are your behaviors tainted and not reflecting love? All of these things we need to bring before God in repentance and ask God to, uh, to cleanse us of these things so that our love is pure. Do our actions spring forth from the purity of this love? You know, early this week, Bob Kim sent out an email for the Teasdale toy drive to the men's group. He offered to go shopping for all the toys if men were willing to contribute. What a smart move, too, because I don't think all the dudes would have done that on their own, right? But what happened is he ended up getting over $1,500 in contributions from more than 22 men. What an inspiration. And on Friday, they came uh, to drop by the gifts, and Irene was sharing with me how, how stressed out Bob uh, has been the past few weeks. She thought that him doing all this shopping would bring him even more stress. But what Bob realized is that being Santa made him so happy and joyful. And after dropping off the gifts at church on their way home, apparently he had a huge smile on his face and said how happy he was. I think the real words were kibun joa. You know, he's happy. Purity of love in action. This simple act of love sparked the hearts of all the men in the men's group, and it created energy. Energy in Bob, energy in the men, and I believe energy in the children who will be so blessed by these gifts. Yes, purity of love in our hearts and in our actions. This is how we create outposts of God's righteous kingdom in this world. This is how we wait for God's promise that all will be made right. This is how we prepare ourselves for the world that God will create. We are creating spaces of pure love while we wait for God to do what God will. And God will give us the strength to purify our love. And in the meantime, we thank God for his patience in waiting for us to repent and purify ourselves. During Advent, we wait for this new world that God will create. God will come into your life again too and make all things new. That is God's promise. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us sing together.